Brandon Watts here, lead pastor of Epiphany Church. I am excited and honored to be able to sit down today with my pastor and spiritual father, Dr. Eric Mason, to talk about a very important topic, and that is discipleship. Pastor, how are you today? Doing well, doing well. Glad to be with you. Now, most people are familiar with you, uh, but for the, the off chance that there are a few watching that do not, if you could just unpack a little bit about who you are, your family, and ministry. Eric Mason, lead pastor of Epiphany Fellowship, founder and uh, founder and president of Thriving, um, husband of one wife, of four children, and been in ministry over 23 years, and excited to be here and excited to be a part of talking about discipleship, something that's a big part of, should be a bigger part of any believer's life, but a big part of what we want to do and seeing people's lives conform to the image of Christ, so, yeah. Amen, amen. You know, Pastor, when I think about um, discipleship, my framework for discipleship, which is really why I wanted to sit down and talk with you about this topic, is because uh, a lot of what I understand about discipleship was taught to me through discipleship with you and our relationship. Um, and I'm not just talking about discipleship through church planting, but discipleship as a believer right. in general. Right. Um, right. Right. And so Matthew 28, uh, Jesus makes it clear as he commands the church to go and make disciples. And so we know it's an important factor uh, within the church, but maybe you could impact for us, what is discipleship? Mm -hmm. And the second part of that is why is it even important? Well, I think that um, when you look at, let's start with why is it important, then we'll talk about what it is. I think it's important because it was, when you look at uh, the Upper Room Discourse, for instance, which is John 14 through 17, it's sort of John putting together like the last bit of Jesus's teaching to his disciples, almost framing it within the gospel, his particular gospel account, and him leaving them the last bit, things that he wanted them to be engaged in. Matthew spreads it out, Luke spreads out those discipleship challenge passages a little bit differently, as well as Mark. And so I think when you look at the idea of discipleship and Christ framing everything around them being able to replicate, like he prepared them heavy for replication, which was very, very important. And so I think that when you think through discipleship and you think through the Gospels and you think about how important it was, and then you go to the Great Commission and how particularly um, is really a, the, you know, the Great Commission of Matthew 28 is really a recommissioning mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. you know, Genesis and Genesis 1 and Genesis 8. Those are two commissioning passages that were the original commission for us to fill the earth and fill the earth with people with reflected God's glory. But of course the fall happened and so now the earth is full, but it's not full of people who look like the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so the great commission that Christ gave in, uh, Gen uh, in Matthew 28 is us now going into the world where there are already people filled. It's filled with people. Now we want it filled with the glory of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we're teaching the commandments, teaching people to follow him and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so th that, that's a big thing for discipleship with me, you know, just what is discipleship. But, you know, um, 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 you know, particularly discipleship, in my estimation, based on, you know, Matthew 8, 39, is, is, is talking about people losing their lives. So to, for me, it's an apprenticeship to the Lord Jesus Christ to be on a lifelong journey of being conformed to his image. Mm -hmm. And so, and so that, that shows itself up in so many different ways, which <clears throat> if you don't recognize that discipleship is a process and not an, it's not an event, and so that means that God is progressively chiseling you into the image of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And in light of that, the question is, you know, what does that look like? So discipleship, 
my book Unleashed talks about it. It talks about sanctification. Um, and, and yet it's the ways in which God uses what we call, we use the language of different means to help us to be aware of our need for discipleship and not only the awareness, but the process. So through prayer, through Bible uh, study, through, uh, through also being in community with other believers who can sharpen us, who can challenge us, uh, who can help us to walk in our commitment. That's why you see the one another's are so prevalent in the New Testament because it's impossible. It's impossible to be conformed to the image of Christ without being around those who are also in that same process of being conformed to the image of Christ. Marriage is a sanctifier. You know, hearing the word of God is a sanctifier. So all these suffering is, is, is a means of sanctification. And so we have, a, um, we have a myriad of things that God has put around the tool belt of sanctification to help us to be chiseled into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. You know, even as you were talking, I'm thinking through <clears throat> how um, important discipleship is even now in my spiritual formation. Right. And um, when, when I think through that, I wonder if there are um, some believers that think, man, I can grow out of a discipleship relationship. Maybe there's a point I reach that I don't have to be discipled anymore. Mm -hmm. Is that a true thing to say? And is, that any, is there any biblical foundation for you to say, man, I, I don't have to be discipled anymore? Yeah, I think that it's according to what your philosophy of discipleship is. If your philosophy of discipleship is someone, some, end of, some super individual investing in me, yeah. I mean, I don't think every season of life is filled with a particular person that's coming alongside of you. Because I, I think that's what we think of discipleship. We have a, what I would say, a reductionist view of discipleship, mm -hmm. um, which reduces discipleship to spending time with one person mm -hmm. who's Superman or Superwoman who can help us to grow, yeah. you know, based on whatever that looks like to be with them. And so I think that it's um, extremely important to recognize that the Bible talks about, you know, in 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12, verses 12, verse 12 talks about our ultimate glorification. Mm -hmm. And so that means we're not, you know, we, we're going through the process of that. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter, I think the fourth chapter near the end talks about, you know, although the outer man is decaying uh, day by day, the inner man is being renewed day by day. And so the fact that that passage talks about continuous renewal is important for the believer to biblically know then when I'm, you know, I have family, I got a family member that's 103 years old. My father's 93 years old. And if any believer, any professing believer who understands the challenges of their sin, the challenges of living in this world, yeah. challenges with the world of flesh and the devil, wouldn't ever say that they're not need, they're not in need of God's sanctifying work through discipleship. Amen. And so if anybody says that, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're in a place of arrogance. Um, Pastor, you often used to talk to me about the difference between group discipleship and individual discipleship. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I often found that your, your thoughts on that were very interesting. Can you just unpack for us a little bit about what the difference between, between those two is? And even from a biblical point, which one would you say, man, that's probably healthier and more biblical for you to do it that way, individual versus group? Yeah, a couple of things. And I know we'll probably get to it. Everything sanctifies. We'll talk, we, we can talk about that. Like not one thing. And, and, and the problem with most people is they're looking for one super person to disciple them. Mm -hmm. When you look at the scriptures, you see that there is some individual discipleship. But when you do more research in the scriptures, there was very little individual discipleship. Um, it was group discipleship. Uh, you, you know, people mainly will go to a, a you know, Moses Joshua model or a Paul Timothy model. 
But even when you go to a, a Moses Joshua model, it's no model of him actually talking directly to Joshua at all. It's really just Joshua sitting on the bottom of the mountain and I don't know if he was eavesdropping, but he was somewhere in the vicinity learning from what Moses was experiencing with God, which I wouldn't necessarily say that was necessarily life on life. Mm -hmm. um, when you look th uh, through Samuel, you look through over and over and over again through the Old Testament, or you look at Elijah and Elijah, there was a group of prophets that was there, the school of prophets. What, what that ended up happening during Samuel, and then it trickled, trickled down where God said, there's a bunch of prophets out here, right? Um, but then when you look at discipleship, when you get towards the New Testament, and you look at even Jesus, Jesus did not do individual discipleship. He did community discipleship. He had a core disciples, which was three. He had a second tier core, which was the 12. And then he had a general populace of the 120, which included the three and the 12 within that as those who he discipled. When you look at, uh, uh, when you look at church history and you see uh, oral tradition about Peter's ministry and different ones that he discipled, you know, um, when you look at uh, Timothy and Paul, Paul always talked about a we, like when you get into Corinthians, see, both first and second, he talks about we, that us. And when you look at the accounts of Acts, there was a community that he was with. And so I think that when people think of individual discipleship is, as a biblical model, I don't, I, don't see it, I, I, I don't see it as the prevalent biblical model of discipleship in the Old or New Testaments. And so, and so discipleship needs to be in the context of biblical community. I think that there needs to be a sprouting group of robust, spiritually mature men and women who are in the community who help guide the process in some way, shape, or form. Um, but but, but the, the work of discipleship is a community effort. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, amen to that. Thank you for walking us through, uh, through that. You know, um, a lot of our relationship in terms of discipleship, which was group and individual at you know, it was a hodgepodge of both. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but a lot of our discipleship, I realized some of it was very intentional. So you would say, hey, I need you to I need you to pick up this book and I need you to read it and I need you to write me something on it. Um, some of it was I'm going to send you a link. I want you to, to read this article. I want you to listen to this sermon and tell me your thoughts. Yeah. And that was very helpful to getting me to think through um, different areas. But one of the things I found really, really helpful within uh, the discipleship process between you and I was a lot of it was just caught. And so I get to sit with you while you're traveling and watch you make a decision, uh, whether it was a family decision, whether it was a decision on the church. Um, you allowed me to glean from watching you. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's a kind of that model of some things are, are caught, not taught. Right, right, right. What is a healthy balance in terms of discipleship what is a healthy balance of being intentional, mm -hmm. but just allowing those moments to be sporadic, to just pop up? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that one of the things, you know, Paul says in Philippians uh, 4, verse 8, 9, and 10, you know, he talks about whatever's pure, whatever's good, whatever's. Then he goes to verse 10, he said, the things that you've learned and seen and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. So I think that when you think about discipleship, you got to think about, a holistic understanding of discipleship when you, and there are levels, there's certain people you let in deeper, certain people you don't let in deeper, you know, and, and that's up to the disciple maker. I think the deeper you let someone in, I think you're going to catch sin, you know, in the disciple maker, and you're going to catch a lot of different things, how they deal with sin, how they deal with conflict. 
and all those different things. And I think that's a trust base that's built and uh, to, to be able to be around and be there. But I think that's a big part of discipleship of letting people into different tiers of your life based on what God has called them to do in particular and what you see in that person and just the, the camaraderie, the camaraderie, if you will, and the trust factor that you have in that relationship with that person. I think when you look at Paul, Paul had a very, very intimate relationships with, I would say, Epaphroditus, Timothy, Titus, Silas, and maybe a few others, John Mark a bit, but particularly the, 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 the first guys that I talked about. And when you look at his life, particularly like if you look in the second Corinthians, I think six or seven, where he talks about being depressed mm -hmm. and how yeah. Titus came alongside of him in the midst of that and walked him through it and helped him through that. And so you see him in Timothy in second Timothy venting about his loneliness to Timothy, come to me quickly, bring the parchments, don't forget my cloak. And you know, that level of intimacy, those that was a relationship that was built over years that the disciple maker, like a lot of people don't know, di disciple making disciples the discipler mm. um, in many ways. In other words, you're... I was going to say unpack that. Yeah, because a lot of times you think you're investing in people and you'll find that the process of dealing with other people dis impacts your soul in a way where it opens you up to blind spots you have, mm. brokenness you have, uh, and just... And, and, and what's beautiful about discipleship, if it's done well, there's a friendship that's built, not merely a hierarchy. Absolutely. And so when you see Jesus in John 15, he says, not only do I call you servants, but now I call you friends. Mm -hmm. You know, like y'all, like y'all my boys. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the sense of Jesus was human, so he had to have friendships. He couldn't just be out here in the Messiah mm -hmm. and not have any confidants and relationships. I mean, you even see Jesus asking for prayer from his disciples. Can y'all pray with me? Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't, you know, and so, but look at the, the master having that level of expectation in his discipleship relationships where he would solicit prayer from his disciples, believing that God would hear it in a way that would impact the way he went to the cross. So I think that, I think that disciple making, I do think that there needs to be a submissiveness and all those different things, but submissiveness and hierarchy shouldn't be a means by which you distance yourself from disciples that creates to me a false dichotomy of who you are and who they are, but that you guys are on a journey together, being made into the image of Jesus Christ together. Um, usually a disciple maker hopefully is further along in that process, which makes them worthy to be a disciple um, maker. However, they present discipleship like this is a process of growth as me as well. Yeah. 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 Amen. I think you see that as well in, in 2 Timothy 1, 4, where Paul tells Timothy, I remember your tears. And when I think about that, I'm like, man, Paul's planting churches. He's in the synagogue, right. reasoning. And right, right, yet right. he had time to be vulnerable enough right. to be an intimate part, an intimate part of Timothy's life to mm -hmm. remember his tears. Do you find, though, as a pastor, because I do think pastoral discipleship is a lot different than yeah. regular discipleship. Do you find as a pastor that it's difficult to to really expose yourself and be vulnerable with the guys that you're discipling? I think there's levels of vulnerability with everyone. There's a vulnerability that someone's going to have with their spouse. You know, there's a vulnerability you're going to have with guys you grew up with. Uh, there's a level of vulnerability. I think it's based on a relationship and a trust that's developed. Proverbs uses a principle called discretion. Mm -hmm. And that discretion is the ability to not, it's not about keeping secrets, but it's about covering a person. That's why the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. And so 
there's a level of relationship that's developed where someone becomes privy. If, if, they, if they've shown themselves trustworthy with top secret sort of, <laughs> sort of classified matters sure. of the soul of the discipler, I think it's up to the discipler what level that goes to. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. I don't think there's a, like, a, like a rope rule of that. So, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. You know, um, there are dangers within the discipleship process when the expectation of the one being discipled, I call it the, the Jesus model in terms of people thinking that Jesus is discipling them. I think it's important, like you said, um, you know, sin is exposed, even with the one that is discipling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'll never forget when you called me, man. I, I don't want to lay it all out, but I'll never forget when you called me and it was something I thought was minute. And you were like, man, I just need to repent. And I've never experienced that before in a discipleship process where I was always the one saying, man, these are areas I need to work on. Mm -hmm. But I felt like when you said, man, I need to repent of this, it changed a lot of my framework for what discipleship is. Um, I'm wondering, what are some dangerous expectations that one can have going into a discipleship relationship, the Lord is forming it, where the disciplee is thinking, man, this discipler is perfect, and then finds out it's not. What are unhealthy expectations for those relationships? Yeah, I think one, of the, one unhealthy expectation uh, in my mind is, is creating an idea of what discipleship looks like in your mind versus allowing the discipleship process to be created by the framing of the discipler. Because a lot of times people have, you can't tell someone, this is how I want to be discipled. And if it doesn't fit this format, then I don't want to be discipled because that means you're not teachable, yeah. you know. Uh, I think another thing is neediness. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, where, you know, th that you're, as, you're hyper asking about. See, one of my things is, is as a disciple maker, I want to work myself out of a job with you. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean we don't have a relationship. That, that doesn't mean, but there's certain things you shouldn't be asking me because of your level of maturity, you should, I should be working myself out of not being as much of a coach, not being as much of a, um, uh, uh, giving too much advice. Like there should be a level, you know, it talks, it's, it's like uh, Galatians talks about two levels of load bearing. It says, bear one another's burdens. But then a few verses later say, everyone should be able to carry his own load. Mm -hmm. So there's this sense in which, <laughs> you know, there's this tension in which, you know, as you grow and develop, there are loads that you should be able to carry. But then on the other side, there are loads that, you know, Paul talks about Second Corinthians 1, if we were burdened beyond our strength. Yeah. You know, and so I think that when we look at that idea of disciple making and that level of health in relationship and discipleship, I think it's very, very important for us to look at the idea of, hey, I don't need this from you in this season, or um, I do need this from you in this season. But I think that neediness is a huge one. Uh, I think, again, unhealthy expectations. I think centralizing Christ's image in a discipler mm -hmm. in a way that um, um, I think you have to go through the process. I, don't, I, I think people are going to view the person they want to be like in a perfect way. Mm -hmm. I think as you grow and mature in the process, God graces you not to be disillusioned with the brokenness of the disciple maker. Every disciple maker is, is broken. So if you don't really like and you may not come into it realizing that because it's according to where you're discipling the person from. If you're discipling them from, you know, being an infant Christian, a babe, you know, then they're going to have a, ideal, a, a hyper idealistic view of who you are. Yeah. 
and even the Christian faith for that matter. And so I think part of the growth is um, not getting rid of the biblical ideals, but giving grace and learning that someone can disciple me and have faults yeah. because you're going to do the same and you're going to have faults too. So, Amen. yeah. You know, Pastor, there are times in the discipleship process where the disciplee uh, begins to look like the discipler. In other words, they're not being uh, discipled to look more like Jesus, but mm -hmm. look like the one that's yeah, discipled. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to hear, um, what are some guards that we could put up to make sure that that doesn't happen within the process of discipleship making? Yeah, I think that there are ways that a disciple maker needs to, I think the disciple maker needs to be aware, first off, of their tendencies. Sometimes it's difficult. That's why I'll back up. I think it's important for people to be authorized to make disciples. That's number one. Mm, what do you mean by that? Um, I think within the local church, the more and more I grow, sometimes just because a person is older in the faith mm. doesn't mean they're mature in the faith. Mm. Or um, someone is overzealous about making disciples, and so they're making disciples, and they're not, they're not really... They're, I mean, we're not perfect, but there should be some things in order in your life where you're mimicable, yeah. where you can say, follow me as I follow Christ, and there's enough for them to get from you to look like Jesus, right? That's good. That's good. <laughs> you know, and so, um, and so that's, that's number one. But then the other part of it is, as you think about this idea of really unhealthy dispositional disciple-making, um, um, is if there are second-handed preferential ideologies that make up what it means to be a disciple. Mm -hmm. You know, um, whether it's doing evangelism in a particular methodological way. Okay. Um, you know, it, it, when, when, every, when everything in the discipleship process is methods-based, mm -hmm. leads to legalism. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that there aren't methods and models and stuff. I got you. But what happens is, is if, you, if you tell a person to do everything like this and to do it like this means that you're doing it biblically, that's legalism. When we talk about disciple-making, idolatry you know that's what i call it disciple idol disciple maker idolatry is what happens what has happened to me is if i felt like someone even in an immature state god gives you signals don't I, like I, you know i'm not i'm not saying follow your heart but you get some gut feelings you know i i wouldn't ignore it because that could be the spirit uh, not necessarily indigestion on that occasion yeah. and so i think the following the spirit on there has to be some level of compatibility and then i think Someone needs to be, and this is help to guard against that. I think so, it, that's why it's good to have people knowing that you are and how you're making disciples, mm. and what's becoming of those people. Mm. And so one th one time I had a um, uh, someone in, in in a church that I was in, um, and that I was pastoring in, that was just extremely unhealthy in how they sought out people to make because they almost found affirmation in the way in the discipleship relationship, mm -hmm. meaning my identity is in creating a view of myself where I'm everybody's disciple maker or spiritual dad or spiritual mom, where it's more about coddling people and bringing people to you and mm -hmm. really feeling good about you versus investing in them mm -hmm. and that be the reason you're investing in them. And sure. so um, you can't find your identity in disciple making. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, and so that's that's important for a disciple maker. Mm -hmm. It's not to find their identity in disciple making, but in Christ first. And so, and so that means that you you know look for improvements and hear from people who you're discipling. What are some of the challenges they may have had with the process? So wow. yeah, that's so good. That's so good. 
Who, who are, and I'm interested just to, to hear this, uh, who are some of the main people you would say, man, it, it could be a hodgepodge of people, but who are mm-hmm. some of the main people you would say in your life that has been extremely helpful in the discipleship process in your life? So um, you saying um, over time or now? Over time, yeah. Over time, who has invested in you? Man, I got a litany. It's a guy at, at the church I was in in college um, by the name of um, Joel Washington. He was very, he was one of the first people to really framework invest in me. Um, guy named actually JR, he was young, young, young. He was we were about the same age, or maybe he was a year older than me, but he was a guy that was just on my college campus. Uh, uh, when I went to when I went to schools, Dr. Evans was of course sure. major role of let me into his life and let me into different spheres. Yeah. And I ate up everything I could from him. Wayne Mitchell was a guy that was big for me. Uh, Crawford Ritz, of mm-hmm. course, in different ways, in different seasons, has has been it. But on the more peer level, has been Blake, Brian Laritz, mm-hmm. Jerome, different guys like that. Where sure. I have more peer, even Doug, just peer relationships, even though. Doug wouldn't necessarily consider himself a peer. He would still consider himself a son. But um, I just say those have been relationships that have been, I, I needed that sort of squad, that, sure. that camaraderie of dudes. Because I think that's important for men and women to have like, not just squad being a hashtag. Mm-hmm. You, need, you need a squad of believers that are both geographical and non-geographical that you have as confidants that help you to challenge you in your growth. And so I wouldn't always just see discipleship as somebody over you because submission can happen on an even plane on certain levels, particularly uh, people who you trust. Mm-hmm. I think those are, and you got to have those for the rest of your life because one day when you get older, it's funny oh, yeah. hearing the older guys talk about, I don't have nobody in my life that wow. speaks into it anymore because all of them are dead. Wow. And so in, in, the, in the sense of hierarchical. Yeah. So they find unique ways to be ministered to by the younger generation wow, and their peers. Because, you know, when you outlive everybody, the decide, not yeah. outlive, but the people that were investing in you died and now yeah, you're yeah, yeah. the sage, mm-hmm. you know. You know my process, brother, uncle, yeah. uh, a brother, big brother, uh, uncle, uh, spiritual father, sage. That's the sort of the stages of, stages of disciple making for me. And so when you get to be the sage status, you, you say less and say more. That's how you know you're a sage. You say less and say more. Yes, sir. Pastor, I'm wondering what are the framework, what is the framework that you use in terms of picking who you're going to invest into? I know you've talked a lot about uh, this person must be teachable, mm-hmm. uh, must be committed. Um, what, what, are, what are those frameworks that you use and why do you use those? Yeah, I think uh, for me, you know, it's according to what season of life you're in and what God wants you to focus on in relation to disciple making. This season of my life is investing, my wife and I investing in families who have potential for leadership and ministry, particularly in church planting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I get asked by people all the time, can you decide, can you invest in me in this way? And, like, I'm, I'm usually more focused on people who basically have a, a basic theological foundation, which I'm moving more towards leadership, family character, so that they can do what I do, my wife and I do, plant churches and mm-hmm. lead people and that type of thing. So that's the sphere of that. They got to be faithful, available, teachable, of course, fat. You know what I'm saying? They got to sit, soak, serve, mm-hmm. you know. And they it's, it's, so for they also got to show, you know, the Bible talks about in First Timothy 3, you know, he who desires the role of an elder or epithumeo, that passion 
for the role that has a humility to it, not an not an ambitiousness, yeah. an unhealthy ambition. I got you. There's nothing wrong with ambition, but it has to be a healthy ambition mm -hmm. uh, for it, and yet want to open up their lives to be able to be challenged and developed in that particular process to be able to help them to have the spiritual formation and theological acumen and skill set to be able to execute. So character, competency, commitment, and compatibility. Their life has to be set up like that. And so that's a big way yeah. for me that my wife and I, I don't, I don't have time for people that don't listen. If you don't listen, you understand, like, I don't have time for people that are unresponsive. That doesn't mean that people are going to be perfect in the process either. But if you are a serial, a serial, like, if you have serial hearing issues, I can't, I can't disciple you. Yeah, because yeah, I, because I, I, in what I do, I need you to bear fruit, so that you can make other disciples. Yeah. You know, I just that, that's the way it works. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. when I when I went to the uh, when I celebrated the tenth year anniversary uh, when we were at the the gala, it was interesting hearing um, guy after guy after guy men just get up and talk about how you've poured in and invested in them, and man, that that moved me to um, to want to be more intentional with discipleship, yeah. more intentional with investing into particularly men, um, and more intentional with, with really giving my life, as you said, you know, a lifelong process of what discipleship is. Let me take this opportunity, man, to just say thank you to, to you on behalf of all of those guys that you've invested into, uh, but also particularly for myself, uh, my boys, and Ty as well. You and Yvette have been extremely, extremely um, helpful for us, but also you guys have you took time, you know, as you talk about the teachable part, you know, I know there were times where I wasn't teachable and you were patient. So I know you're like, man, I, I can't do the unteachable, but you are patient even within that process. And, um, you know, I just want to let you know that, man, I love you and I appreciate you a no lot. Problem likewise, man. Well, Dr. Mason, this was great. This concludes our conversation on discipleship. Thank you for tuning in to this conversation. We hope that you guys will follow our sermon series on discipleship via our podcast. God bless.